0: before we get into anything, I want to make something abundantly clear. And that is our stance with God. Okay. When it comes to our relationship with God, well, let me put it like this. Let me let let Chris Burns put it like this. Chris wrote uh, in a Facebook post on March 19th. He said, God didn't save me to use me. He saved me for union. He isn't building a business. He's building a friendship. So when it comes to our stance with God, that's it. If all I do, if all we do in this life is love God and love people, we've won. That's it. That's it. We don't have to do anything. Jesus did it all, okay? I want that to be clear. So if you're the person who um, it's everything you can do to get up in the morning and, and like that's your line and you're doing that, great. God loves you. He loves you where you are. He doesn't expect more of you than you can do. He's, he's not looking at everybody else and saying, why aren't you like this person? Why aren't you like that person? He's a good dad. Every now and again, I still go, why can't you act more like your sister? And then I go, oh, I'm not supposed to say that, but I mean it but I'm not supposed to say it, but God's a good dad. He's not like me. He's a good dad and he does not expect out of you what, what, what comes out of someone else. So if all I did in my life was get up, go to work, provide for my family, go home, go to bed, get up the next day and do it again, that's fine. And that is a life well-lived and a life well-served. That's occupying the land. That's what God has called us to, okay? That gives us a crazy amount of freedom, a crazy amount of freedom on a day where we're celebrating freedom. I totally forgot what today was up until today. <laughs> so all the songs that we picked and everything that we wrote were just kind of in there. And then it's like, oh yeah, it's Independence Day and we're singing freedom, sweet. So if all we do in this life is love God and love people, we've won. We don't have to do a thing, Jesus did it all. But what if I want more? What if I just don't want to be, we often read about Saul's conversion to Paul in the New Testament, um, and I think we read it. I think we read it as a bigger thing than it actually was, and that's going to bug some of you. That statement, but stick with me for a minute. We're going to read in Philippians three, verses five and six, right now. Okay, so Paul writes, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. If you guys have any questions about that, catch Pastor Sean after service. Because turnabout is fair play. Paul continues, I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul was saying, I was the Jew of all Jews. No one worshiped God better than me. Nobody loved God better than me. Nobody was more devoted to God than me. I lived as perfectly as a human possibly could under the law. That's what Paul's communicating and he's talking about his commitment to God. He's talking about his resolve, okay? So uh, in that uh, video opener, the second quote, the first quote is a guy I don't even know, some sports guy. So uh, do you know who that was? Okay, good. Uh, Then I don't feel quite so bad for not knowing who the sports guy was, but it was a good quote, and I needed two. Uh, (laughs) But the second quote is the important one. Um, So in year 2000 or so, the movie Blade came out, and I'm not saying go watch it at all. But what I am saying is this quote stuck out to me. There's this moment where, where Blade, the day-walking vampire, uh, and, and this, this girl are trying to do something, I can't remember what, and they're outside, and they've caught this, um, this police officer who's working for the bad guys. And um, the, the girl that's working with Blade does something, and the bad guy gets away. And Blade gets angry, and he turns to her, and he says, you better wake up. The world you live in is nothing but a sugar-coated topping. There's another world beneath it, and if you want to survive it, you better learn how to pull the trigger. Now, that phrase, pull the trigger, in that moment, in the intensity that 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 character said it, Wesley Snipes said that, um, that phrase has stuck with me my whole life. Like 21 years, that phrase has been in the back of my mind. Pull the trigger. It's kind of been a guiding ideal. It's been something that, 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 that kind of keeps me on track and helps me decide what I'm doing and how I'm gonna do it. And um, I tried to do this message like eight years ago on a Sunday night and I felt like it bombed. Because I didn't have the clarity of what God was doing and where He was bringing us, and and where we're going, so we're gonna we're doing it again today. And I didn't look at my notes from then. I just know I stole the title. But here's the thing about pulling a trigger, and this is something that I understood from from when I was little. You know, my dad my dad started teaching me how to shoot and how to do it safely when I was five years old, and he just ran those laws so deep in my skull that like <laughs> a police officer could hand me a firearm and the first words out of my mouth are, is it loaded? Like I don't even think, it's there, right? So I know all about firearms. And so when I hear that, that phrase, pull the trigger, that means something very deep to me. Because the thing is you can't take back a trigger pull. Once that little piece of metal moves backward, you're in it. You're committed. The hammer falls and now you have no control. You have control up until the point you choose to pull that trigger. Once that trigger is pulled, you have no more control. Wherever that bullet goes, whatever that bullet does, your future is decided. If it hits a target and you win a match, congratulations. If it hits a person and they die, whole nother set of consequences. Your future's decided. Every consequence, good or bad, you're fully committed. There is no escape from a trigger pull. Now, those of you that are, that are um, in, in gun world and you shoot, uh, we fire so many rounds, we don't even think about that. But have you stopped to think about the, 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 the depth of a single, single trigger pull? You guys probably have, because they probably train you to think about the importance, okay? So that's what's going on in my mind when I hear pull the trigger. Paul continued, in verses seven through 11, Philippians 3, seven through 11. I once thought these things, okay, so. He was over here, he's like, I was the best Christian ever, only he was saying Jew. Okay, I was was the best Hebrew person ever. I followed God better than anybody ever possibly could. Now he's talking post-meeting Jesus, okay? He said, I once thought all of these things, my greatness at following the law and stuff, were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I wanna know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I wanna suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I wanna suffer with him sharing his death so that one day, in one way or another, I can experience the life that he experiences. So, back to my uh, original statement that made all your hair stand up on the back of your head. I would argue that Saul's conversion to Paul wasn't drastic. It It wasn't super drastic. He was Saul one day, he was Paul the next, but his personality never changed. His drive never changed. His devotion to God never changed. All that changed was his perspective. He saw the heart of God. He went from being what he described as the perfect Jew to being the Christian that would write two-thirds of the New Testament. He didn't change. His view changed. He met Jesus, and suddenly all that old information meant something new. See, we, 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 don't, we don't catch in our minds that, that Paul, he didn't have to start new. He didn't have to start over. He didn't have to go back to school because everything that he knew and all of the, all of the scriptures that he knew by heart still applied. Same God, same man, different perspective. Okay? so. With that in mind, I wanna tell you guys three parts of my story. Uh, The first part is mine, and then it's gonna be me and Pam's, and then it's gonna be the whole family. Um, And some of you have heard this. Ethan, you've probably heard it all more times than you wanna hear. You could probably just head out and come back later. Uh, In fact, anybody who's spent time in NextGen has probably heard these more than they ever wanna hear. You see, when I was a teenager, when I was 14 at Acquire the Fire, and I was down on the floor of uh, uh, the Coliseum in Denver and Steve Hill was praying over me because he was my youth pastor at the time. I made a decision that day and I pulled a trigger. I said, God, I want to follow you and I want to make the world better. And this is the trajectory my life has taken. So if we go back to 2001. There was this thing in Gillette called the Holy Spirit Conference. Some of you might have been there some of you might've heard about it, and most of you probably not. But Pastor Brent was there, Pastor Tana was there, and I know a group from Destiny was at this conference. And we had this deal where, um, are you guys awake? Am I boring you to death right now? No, because I don't want this to bore you to death, but I do know it's a history lesson about somebody else's life, and it's not gonna be that important, and it's not gonna seem that that great, but it's important to me that you guys know What God's done and what He's doing in us, so you can hopefully better understand what He's doing in you. Okay? All right. So we're at the Holy Spirit Conference. It's my home church. I'm on the worship team uh, and it's the end of the night and it's one of these like late nineties conferences. And I mean, it's called the Holy Spirit Conference for a reason, okay? So we've got <clears throat> chairs pushed back. People are on the floor everywhere. We've got a line of like 400 people run around the backside of the church and our church was run wide. So, so like the stage would have been here and then the line would have back, gone back there and then over there. And uh, <clears throat> I remember I got in the line and I was like, all right, Holy Spirit, Tonight's the night. Holy Spirit, do something for me. Because you see, I, I had never experienced like, um, I experienced b- baptism in the Holy Spirit when I was a little kid, but I'd never been like slain in the Spirit. I'd never had like a physical reaction to Holy Spirit on me, other than like, like a little bit of tingles here and there. And, and I, uh, the, the day I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I actually felt wind. That was really, really cool. But um, <clears throat> I had never experienced this thing that everybody was enjoying. And so I was in line. I was like, Holy Spirit, come on. Come on, I gotta know what this is about. I gotta know what this is about. And it's gotta be you. If that guy pushes, I'm gonna push him back. <laughs> and just for the record, I always have pushed back. Yeah. I, if You're gonna try to do it under God's strength and, or under your own strength then I'm gonna do it under mine too. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> I remember standing right here one time and I was like this, like trying to push back. The guy was like, and I'm like, no. Not your job, dude. So I get up there, I get prayed for, nothing. So I went out to the foyer, which in this room would be right there. And there were these tall backed um, chairs. They were kind of cream colored and covered in flowers. And I sat in one of them and I was sitting up on the edge and I was sitting forward and I was like, God, what the heck? Why don't I get to experience this stuff? Why, Why am I different? And almost like hearing a voice, I, I heard Holy Spirit say, at least, in, in, it was so clear. No question, super clear. Uh, I heard Holy Spirit say, I want you to go to Bible school. And I remember Reed Remington walked through. I think it was Reed. He's like, well, what are you doing? I was like, I think God just told me to go to Bible school. <laughs> and that night I told my mom on the way home uh, and she cried that was something very exciting for her. Hi, Mom. She's probably watching. She comes to this church more often than I do now. Uh, <laughs> but um, so then the, over the next few weeks, I met with, uh, with Pastor Clint, uh, my lead pastor at the time. And I said, I feel like God's calling me to go to, to Bible school. <clears throat> what do you think? Um, pastor Clint was, okay. Remember our men's retreat speaker, Reagan, last fall? This was his dad. So his dad uh, and I sit down and he labels, he names off like three or four different schools that I could look into. And one of them is Christ for the nation's British Columbia. And he is best friends with the head of that school at the time. And so I was like, hey, you've got relationship there. I feel like that's a good place. My spirit came alive at the thought and I didn't wanna go to uh, California. So uh, there was a couple other options too that just didn't like spark any interest. So within a couple of months, I was on a plane headed to Canada and uh, I got stuck in Seattle. I'm 19 years old, flying alone, or 18 years old, flying alone for the first time. My flight was late, going into Seattle, so then I got to hang out there for a while, busted a shoelace. The night before my flight, (laughs) okay, so I left Gillette. I I left school early because there was a storm coming. I get in my little minivan because I had a minivan because when you have the instruments I have, you gotta have a way to haul them. So I had this little minivan and I drove over here that afternoon because I was gonna fly out of of Rapid City and uh, I didn't have any money for anything. So I'm like, I'll just sleep in the car like an idiot. So I went to the mall, got dinner, read a book, uh, Lindell Cooley book, I think it was. Then I get down, I go out to the airport and I park and I curl up in a sleeping bag in the back of my van. And then I wake up freezing and I crank it on until it gets good and hot. And then I shut it off, go back to sleep. Got a cold, right? Got a cold. I woke up that morning like not feeling good. Uh, I, remember, I remember sleeping to Chopin on the way because I was into uh, classical piano at the time. And uh, it, was, it was an interesting, interesting day, but it was, it was totally a trip meant, uh, meant by God. I met some of, my, some of my best friends, some of the people that have loved me the most over the years of that trip. I met Pam that trip. I don't remember meeting Pam that trip, but apparently I met Pam that trip. I also met another Pam that trip who I also don't remember. There was two at the time, so uh, I got there, knew it was God, <clears throat> met with the uh, met with the, the the family there, met with the, the leadership, and I was just like, this is it. So fast forward to the next fall, it's like the beginning of September, early September, and I'm in my van, driving the 24 hours to my new school in Canada, and uh, I stopped at my grandparents' house for a week. They live in Mon- lived in Montana, and. Uh, Sorry, Grandma and Grandpa passed away a couple years ago and we just sold that property and it's making me sad. Because I grew up there. Anyway, so I get back in my van after a week at Grandma and Grandpa's house and I'm heading up to Canada. The first half of the trip my sister had been with me so the second half I was all alone and I put a CD in and I listened to this one CD the whole time. It was Reliant K's, The Anatomy of the Tongue in Cheek. Oh yeah. And I played it over and over and over again, specifically the first song. And this first song, I swear, this is what got me through. This is what got me to Canada. This is what kept me there. This is what, what drove me. It was, it was the core of what I was doing at the time. The, the, the first chorus, or sorry, the first verse in the chorus go, I think we're going somewhere. We're onto something good here. Out of mind, out of state. Stop interrupting. <laughs> I'm excited too. It's everything I can do not to just sing it to you. Okay, so we're on to something good here, out of mind, out of state, trying to keep my head on straight. I think we're going somewhere. We're on to something good here. There's only one thing left to do. Drop all I have and go with you. Somewhere back there, I left my worries all behind. My problems fell out of the back of my mind. We're going and I'm never knowing, never knowing where we're going. To go back to where I was would just be wrong. I'm pressing on. Pressing on. All my distress is going, going, gone. Pressing on, pressing on. And I won't sit back and take this anymore because I'm done with that. I've got one foot out the door and to go back to where I was would just be wrong. I'm pressing on. I had pulled the trigger. This was my resolve. This was my commitment. To step out of where I was and step into what God had for me, even though I was going virtually completely blind. Within 24 hours of getting into Canada, Pam was at a party at one of the houses and she untied my shoes and turns out she thought I was cute and I thought she was a jerk and then we hated each other for like a month and then we kind of fell in love and got married and all that good stuff happened. We got married after school. Uh, We ended up going to Sheridan, Wyoming. Uh, Not a real big story. I sat down with Clint Pickrell a semester before I graduated and I said, I need somewhere to go. He said, well, Casper needs somebody and Sheridan needs somebody. I'm like, I don't like dust and wind and nothing. So I'm gonna go to Sheridan. And uh, (laughs) win or lose, that's where the first six years of of Pam and my married life was spent. We cut our teeth in, in an interesting town. Uh, Scott and Wanda Orchard were our lead pastors for the last four years there. Um, uh, Kent and Laura Beirut for the first two. Um, so like this transition with Brent and Sean was actually like my third transition, uh, helping support lead pastors as they transitioned. Uh, anyway, those lead pastors, they trained us and they, they built us and we grew. But Sheridan as a town never welcomed us because we weren't from there. It's a, it's a very Wyoming, very Western mindset where if you're not from here, you're never gonna be from here. And so, um, let me get back to my line. At another Acquire the Fire, this would have been Acquire the Fire weekend 2008 or so, I felt like God was telling Pam and I, I'm getting ready to move you. I'm getting ready to go somewhere else. It's 2008. I remember we were at the gas station with all the kids running around and I was standing next to Scott, my lead pastor at the time. He's about this tall. So like, Scott, yeah, I remember. And uh, I was like, hey, I feel like Holy Spirit's, I feel like God's saying we're gonna, be, we're gonna be going somewhere else. Scott said, okay, great. For a year and a half after that, I searched, the four, there used to be a four-square job listing site for like our denomination. I searched that thing every day for a year and a half. Looking for where God was gonna take me, looking for where, where, where we were gonna open up to next. Pam and I had really hoped that we would end up in like, like Washington so we could be closer to her family. And then my daughter, Errol, was born on uh, March 18th, 2010. And sometime that next week, I got online, and for some reason, I looked east. And a a posting for Destiny Foursquare Church had gone up like the day before, or something like that. It hadn't been up very long at all. And I sent, I was like, hey, isn't that? And I did a little bit of research, and I realized that it was the same Brent Parker who'd been leading worship at that Holy Spirit conference. And we had a Holy Spirit conference every year, so he'd been there like every year. And Ken Verhicke was already a friend of mine because he'd come to our camps and he would lead worship at our camps and he taught me how to play and he taught me how to write and he taught me all kinds of stuff starting when I was 15. So I started doing this research into this Destiny Foursquare thing. I remember it real clear. My mother-in-law was there. It was the same day that I got my, uh, my first Blackberry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was up, to, we didn't have 3G in Sheridan so that was the best you could do. And uh, <laughs> so I got it and I'm sitting there and I'm trying to learn the thing And I got an email back from Pastor Brett. I said, hey, we want to meet. you guys have time next week? And he and Tana and Charlie packed up in their van and drove to Sheridan and met with Pam and I and our very, very young kids. And they came over to our teeny tiny house. It was like the size of the stage or something. It was bigger than that, but barely. And uh, they invited us back here. And Errol had her one month birthday in this room. I played over there on one of Nick Reed's guitars because I didn't have one and uh, Pastor Brent was like, you wanna play? I'm like, please give me something to do. And uh, you guys know that now I gotta be doing something. Thus, the pacing. We were given that job to uh, step in and carry on what Pastors Sean and Deanna had been doing for a decade or so. And we started three months later on July 1st. So 11 years ago, three days ago. Our second week here was spent shadowing pastors Sean and Deanna at Youth Camp. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't gonna share this because I've never shared it and I don't want anybody to feel bad, but I think it's hilarious on this side of the moment. So, we all drive up to camp the day before camp is supposed to start and we're doing prep work, right? We're, we're setting up stage, we're doing sound checks, we're, we're laminating stuff, we're hanging posters, we're doing all the pre-work, right? And uh, uh, Sean and Deanna had to come back to town to get some extra stuff and I think they were driving students up the next day. And so I was gonna stay and Nick Reed was there and his family and Diani was there and a handful of other people, I don't even remember who, remember I'd only been at Destiny for seven days at this point, maybe? maybe eight, and uh, Sean had left me a to-do list, things that needed to be done, and I was like, great, I'll do it. It's a list, that's easy. I will knock stuff off the list. So I sit down in the staff cabin, and I'm working on stuff on the list, and it's like 10, 10, maybe 11 o'clock at night. Everything's quiet. I close the computer, or whatever it was that I was doing. I get done, and I go and I poke my head outside, and everybody's gone. And it's completely quiet, And I knew that there were other people on the camp that weren't part of our group. So I didn't know which cabins were my group and which cabins were other groups. So I just slept in the staff cabin because I had no idea where to go and where to find people. And it was like this super lonely moment. There are a handful, like every time I had a big move in my life, like just last week, Pam and I moved into our, Pam and I and the kids moved into our camper and I laid down for bed in the camper bed. We actually were able to fit our, our actual mattress in there. So it's super comfortable. So that's not a problem. But I laid down, I said, all right, well, we're doing this now. And I've said, I said that my first night in Canada and my first night in Sheridan, I've said that so many different times. All right, we're doing this now. And I remember that night sitting in the staff cabin, sleeping on that fluffy short blue couch and uh, thinking, all right, we're doing this now. And then the next morning I met Shelby for the first time and had no idea who she was. And It was a good time. Then, as we were supposed to be stepping into Pastor Sean and Deanna's spot, and they were going to move on and go do something completely different. And within a month of them moving, Sean was promoted to the next-gen director, uh, or was that the title? Next-gen director for our district. So he was my overseer, And so I I, I trained with him for a month. And then for another month, it was like everything I forgot. I'm like, dude, help me. And so we're texting back and forth like every day, probably annoyingly so. But then, then he became the director. And guys, Sean and I talked every week for that whole eight years that they were gone. Like there was very seldom a time when we didn't connect about something. And it was very cool. And Pam and I got to do so much when I went to college, I went to go um, to be a worship leader. And a month in, God said, I want you to be a youth pastor. And I said, no. And he said, well, if you're a youth pastor, you can play whatever kind of music you want. And I said, sold. <laughs> and then I said, but I don't wanna be the youth pastor that bails every year. Like I, I wanna stay with my kids. So God, God, let, God honored, honored us um, with that and let us stay at First Church for six years and here for 11. Because um, we wanted there to be a core leader for the youth groups. Because I'd had many youth group leaders and Pam had kind of connected with her youth group, but it was a really big youth group. So it was kind of hard to connect with many people. She had a, a group that she was close to, but. I mean, I got to do some of the coolest things here. This isn't on my list. I'm just, I'm just going off now. You guys have all day, right? Barbecue can wait, yeah. Pam and I have gotten to meet some of the greatest musicians. We've gotten to play with some of the greatest musicians. We're friends with some of the greatest musicians. And if I had gone and focused on worship leading, I don't think I would have ever done the coolest things that I've done. And I've gotten to experience more by serving here at Destiny, by living and, and working with you guys than I think I ever would have experienced anywhere else. So... Cam and I never, ever wanted to leave Next Gen. We wanted to be youth pastors forever. I had this dream that maybe when I was too old and crotchety to be a youth pastor, like now, I would go somewhere and train youth pastors. That's what I wanted to do. I figured if I'm gonna spend my whole life working with youth, that, that'd be a great way to go. Well, God started doing some stuff uh, in 2019. And it started, and I didn't know this until very recently, but it started in January, 2009, January 3rd, 2019. Pam and I got on an airplane and flew flew to Cuba. And I know we've talked about that a lot. It was awesome. I mean, it was really awesome. And that's another one of those things where if things had been different, if i had been at a different church, if I'd had different leadership, I might not have gotten to go. And it was a life-changing trip for me. And we didn't even do ministry stuff. We were there to learn. We sat in classroom time and we learned culture and we tried to figure out how to you know, buy stuff from the right people and not the other people. And you know, we, were, we were people watching. It, was, it wasn't a ministry trip. It was a training trip, but I, God still changed so much. And I got to spend the whole week with a guy named Peter, Peter Henderson. And he's a lead pastor of one of the churches in Colorado, um, but he's also the Gateway District Missions Director. At least I think that was his title. He was in charge of all the mission stuff. And Pam and I spent a week with him, hanging out, talking, laughing, discussing life. He learned how we learn and and how we think and how we process information. And then we came home. And uh, shortly after we got home, my grandma passed away and That sucked, because she was the first person, I said sucked, because I think it applies. Uh, She was the first person close to me to ever pass away. That was really close to me. My aunt had passed away before that, but she wasn't super close to me, so it didn't resonate the same way. Uh, And then after that, in February, uh, I got a call from uh, Deborah Thomas from Lamar, Colorado and she needed help with a sound system. So I agreed to help out, and I ended up designing a full sound system for their church. And that um, April, Errol and I went down for a couple of days and helped them set it up and train their sound teams. And uh, I've been um, you know, on the phone with Deborah every six months since, just checking on them, seeing how it's going. Every now and again, there'll be a headache, and they'll be like, can we schedule a time to figure out the sound system? And you know, we do, and it's great. Um, well, Deborah is actually the divisional leader over Colorado, so she oversees all of the lead, she, she oversees all of the churches in Colorado. Also, in February two thousand nineteen, we were at a district training in Laramie, Wyoming. Uh, Stephen Knoll is a guy who was the lead pastor at the church in Laramie, and he was um, the divisional. He was Deborah Thomas for our area. So he oversaw Pastor Brent and Tana. He helped the transition of Pastor Brent and Tana out and Pastors Sean and Deanna in. Um, that was his job. Uh, his, his district job was overseeing that kind of stuff. And he had just, like the week before we were there for this training, he had just told his church that he was, uh, he was transitioning out. And so now he lives in like somewhere else. Idaho maybe and uh, he's, he's doing other stuff there in a half retired life and he just beat cancer and so we're really happy for him and he's getting healthier and, and that's good because it's been a rough year for that guy but I was sitting at this table at dinner the night that we got there for this training and I, like, I'm here and uh, were you with us that trip? no you weren't with us that trip Jeffrey was with us and Andrew DeWitt came and joined us because he was at school in that town so he came and had dinner with us too and I think Pam might've been sitting with us too, but Steven came by to say hello. And I looked up at him and I said, hey, I hear you're transitioning, congratulations. And he said, yeah, maybe, maybe you and your wife should transition here. And I laughed and I looked at my guys and I said, I'm next gen, I don't know what you're talking about. Like we're happy where we are. And I just kind of, that was a dumb joke, dude, walk away. It was a horrible joke. Well, that next Tuesday, I'm sitting in my office and Pastor Brent comes in. I don't know if you guys ever saw him giddy. Like, he's always a happy guy. He's always, he's always like joyful and positive. But have you ever seen him giddy? If you don't know Pastor Brent, he's 6'4". Uh, and so he's in my doorway, filling the doorway because his shoulders are as broad as mine and it's a skinny door. And so he's standing there and he's like, did you talk to Stephen? Like, I looked up and I'm like, no, wait. Was he not joking? Brent goes, nope. He said, I just thought you would, Brent said, "I, I thought you would like to know that people think of you that way. He meant for us to come take his church. He wanted us to come and be the lead pastors of his church that he'd been at for 20 some years and was retiring from. Craziness. Well, in March we got invited to a weekend in Wyoming And I kind of thought there was an ulterior motive that maybe they were trying to get us to meet the church and get to know the church. Well, it was the church that ran camps when I was a kid. So I already knew them. I'd already been to the church. I knew the town. But they invited us to come and and minister for a weekend, give their worship team a break, give their lead pastor a break. Um, Normally, they would invite Ken Verhicke to do it. But since he's far away now, um, he wasn't an option. So they invited us. And this whole weekend, I was like, I hope he doesn't ask. I don't. I don't think I want to, I don't, I'm next gen. I don't want to. And so all weekend, there'd be a moment where he was, where where the lead pastor was like acting like he was going to say something and then he wouldn't. I'm like, oh. So the Monday, Monday after, after the Sunday, we ended up having a great weekend. Pam and I saw that grizzly bear and we got the pictures of the grizzly bear that weekend. And uh, we're leaving Cody after we'd said goodbye to this guy. And I get a text from him and I'm like, it didn't happen, I was wrong, all that stress for nothing like it always is. I get a text from him, hey, there was more I wanted to talk about, I'll catch up later. Well, sure enough, the, uh, the offer for that church came a few months later and another church in Wyoming as well. And essentially Pam and I turned down three churches in 2019 because we were next gen but that discussion and a lot of the discussions we were having with pastor Sean at the time, uh, we kept coming back to it and we kept thinking about it. And pretty soon you, you can't help when this kind of stuff's happening in your life to go, well, what if, what would it look like if, and at some point God kind of spoke to Pam and I and said, Hey, you're not really leaving next gen. You're growing up with the generation you've been serving. Well, that's not so bad then. Then I'm not forsaking a calling. I'm simply recognizing that there, there, there's another chapter to the calling. We, we, we didn't feel like any more like, like becoming lead pastors would, would be forsaking the kids. Uh, we, we, we felt more like it was God saying, hey, keep taking care of the kids you've been taking care of. They have kids now. They need help. Because having kids is hard. So hard. It's the hardest thing. It's so much hard. And I've only got two. Sean's got like 14. I can't even imagine. If you had kids, you would understand the math better. It's 14. It's exponential. (laughs) One kid is one kid. Two kids is two kids. Three kids is four kids. And uh, just kind of keeps going. Okay, I'm sorry to burn through some of this here. So January 2020, um, Pastor Sean and Deanna ha- have been doing a, like an annual catch up with us in January where we basically sit down and say, what's working in our, in our area, what's not working in our area and what do you think God is calling you to next either in your area or in general? It's just kind of a, a little bit more formal time to sit down and just deal with some stuff. And it's, it's, an, it's a wonderful time and it's a great meeting to have because it's not about them telling us what we've done wrong. It's about them giving us time to say, this is what's working. This is what's not working. How can we fix this? And we get to sit down and we get to deal with, with things that are going on within the various areas of ministry in the church. And we can, we can talk and we can plan. And so Pam and I sat down beginning of 2020, January, 2020. And we said, we think God's calling us to this thing we don't know when. We don't know what it's gonna look like, but we feel like that's where we're going next. And Pastor Sean and Deanna so graciously said, great, let's start training you that direction then. And we didn't know what was gonna happen with Next Gen at the time. Uh, we were talking about Pam and I stepping into more of an associate role and maybe, maybe getting a new youth pastor And while well, Pam and I served as, as um, associates or something like that. And uh, then COVID came. And... I know 2020 was hard and I know it was the worst. I mean, guys, no joke. If you come stand right here, there is a square right there that's not painted like the rest of the ceiling because at one point my foot was hanging through it. (laughs) Two weeks before we had to shut down the church for COVID, uh, the, the projectors in here still weren't working. Remember how they used to flash? They go blue all the time. I was trying to fix that and so Lyle and Pam and I and uh, Royce, were you here that day? Royce was here. I think Xander was in the room and I'm up there on a board across two uh, beams and I went to stand up and the board lifted and I went back and I ended up, how was I? I think I was like this in the rafter with my one leg down and the rest of me hanging up. So I lifted myself out. That was like three months after I wrecked my motorcycle These are the jeans I wore that day, actually. I had some nerve damage that corrected some other nerve damage. (laughs) So I feel fine, it's great. I haven't had a thigh cramp since I wrecked my bike. Woo! All right. I picked it up and drove it home, it was fine. So 2020 was hard for a lot of reasons. But for Pam and I, 2020 was more like God said, okay, now you're willing. Let's make you ready. <clears throat> so closing all of these series or closing messages every week was part of my training. It was something that Pastor Sean gave me to do that would give me a voice to adults that would help me learn how to speak better to this kind of a group. You guys have been my guinea pigs, thank you. I appreciate it. You've been my awake cadavers study on you, and, and, and I've been writing the, the going deeper questions as, as a way to get my head into uh, you a know, uh, different uh, thought process, and Pam and I, personally, we got to finish a bunch of long-standing projects at our house. We finished our basement, ended up being worth like $100,000, so sweet. Uh, <laughs> we, we put in 10, and we got out 100, so... That's a win, thanks God. Uh, I finished an album that I had started. Last year, I finished the album that I had started five years before and hadn't gotten time to finish. The year before I was doing really, really well and then my dad had a stroke and I got sidetracked and never got it finished. But during COVID, I got it finished. And Pam and I learned so much last year in all kinds of different areas. So was like God said, now that you're willing, I'm gonna make you ready. So coming into 2021, when COVID happened, Pam and I pushed all of that personal stuff aside. We're not leaving, destiny needs us, we're rebuilding, we're figuring out, we're fixing, we're making stuff run. But um, the beginning of this year, we felt like God said, hey, it's time. So Pam and I sent an email to Sam Rockwell. Uh, He was our district supervisor at the time. Um, Things have changed, but you don't care. It's dumb and businessy. But we sent an email to Sam saying we're willing to explore the idea of maybe becoming lead pastors somewhere, but there's no rush. No rush. We're just, we're just willing to talk. But seriously, I, I said no rush like three times in this email. It was abundantly clear. Less than 24 hours later, Sam sent us an email and said, check out Fort Morgan, Colorado. And I threw up a little bit. Did he not read no rush? Did he not read? Can't move anywhere till after the summer? Did he? Come on. So Pam and I looked into it a little bit, and there were a lot of reasons we didn't want to, but at the same time, you can't say, okay, God, we're ready, and then not look into it. So Pam and I went down, and we visited the church, when nobody was there, because this church has actually been through a lot. They've been through a lot of transition. They lost a worship leader last fall. They lost their lead pastor last December. By lost, I mean the lead pastor retired and the worship leader moved away. Um, So they've been without a lead pastor since December. And um, they've been going through other stuff before that. And there, there was a lead pastor potential lead pastor couple that was there that said, we're coming, we're coming. And then at the last minute, pulled the plug and hurt a lot of people in the church and they were really upset. So Pam and I snuck down under the cover of crazy snow and uh, we visited the church with the, uh, with the interim pastor and we just kind of asked questions and we, we visited the building and we asked more questions and we looked around the town and we left feeling like we wouldn't fit there. We felt like um, our particular sets of gifts and talents weren't necessary. They were already filled out. They had what they needed. For us, we would, for one thing, we would be too much change. No church wants as much change as we would be just from my personality to the past lead pastor's personality, uh, going from a lead pastor only to a lead pastor couple. Um, there's just a lot of change. So Pam and I actually told the district, we're like, hey, we don't think this is it. We feel like we'd be dynamite in this situation. We'd feel like we'd be the kind of like blow it up change. We don't think that's what you guys want. So we said no, and we came home. And we felt good. We felt like we'd accomplished something. We felt like like we'd started something good, but also like we had done the right thing, right? We felt super peaceful about this. Then a week later, I started having dreams. And Pam couldn't stop thinking about what we'd seen and, and who we'd met and what we'd heard. But I had this one dream. And I have dreams, and usually if I remember a dream, it's important. In um, this dream, I think was important, and I don't remember it as well as I would like. But I was in a room, it was a kind of a conference, and all of the leaders from my past were there. Like all of them. Like from Gillette, from my college in Canada, from Sheridan, from Rapid, from Destiny, everybody that I could think of was there. And I think it was Becky Pickerel. So, men's speaker's mom. uh, She walked up to me and she said, hey, this is it. This is what we have poured into you for. All the time and effort that we've spent, everything that we've done for you was for this. And I got really excited in my dream. Like really, really happy and really, really joyful. And I woke up, 6 a.m. I wake up at 6 a.m. unless I'm going to the bathroom and going back to bed. But uh, I woke up this day and I was like shaking, excited. Like the happiest I've ever felt. Even thinking about it right now, I get the same sort of really, really happy feeling that I've never felt in any other time. And I said, all right, God, whatever that was, I want to experience that again. Then I went back to sleep because it was six in the morning. And I don't do that. I don't play that game. You guys want to know why I'm so grumpy on Sunday mornings? It's because for so many of them, I got to get up at 6 a.m. It's not even that I'm grumpy. It's that I just don't function if I've woken up that early. So Pam and I messaged Sam back. We said, hey, we feel like we're not done with the conversation. We don't know what that means. We don't know if we're just supposed to help set up whatever's happening for the next people that are supposed to be there, but this is what we feel like. And Sam, uh, Sam had Deborah call us. Remember Deborah was the one in Lamar, Colorado, where I had, Errol and I had gone and built the sound system. She's my boss now. And she called us up on the phone and said, hey, we want you to go down, we want you to preach, we want you to do worship, we want you to meet some people. And so we did. And uh, later on, I found out that when Sam was looking at a place to send us, he called two people. He called Deborah and he called Peter Henderson, the guy that we went to Cuba with. And these are the people that we'd spent time with that were at the district level that weren't Sean. He called Sean too. I mean, obviously he talked to Sean. He talked to Sean a ton. Sam talks to Sean more than about anybody I know of just because, I don't know why. Probably not accurate, but it seems like every other day, like, yeah, I was talking to Sam. Sean worked directly for Sam for eight years. They're close. It's cool. Um, so Deborah and Peter were part of the conversation bringing Pam and I into this place that we are now. So the plan moving forward. Next Sunday is Pam and, our, Pam and my last day as youth pastors here at Destiny. This is my last time worshiping with you on this stage as a youth pastor at Destiny. This is my last message as a youth pastor at Destiny. A lot of lasts happening today. But guys, I gotta believe that the God that brought me from Gillette, Wyoming, to British Columbia, where I would meet my wife, who would help me create these two awesome kids that you know, the God that would take us from there to Sheridan, Wyoming, where we didn't feel like we fit, but where we were trained and where we were taught and where we were built up, and the same God that brought us from there to here where we would experience so much amazing stuff, that same God isn't gonna drag us down. Whatever he did for us moving here, he's gonna do for us moving there. It's gonna look different. It's gonna feel different. Guarantee it's not gonna be easy, but it's what's going on. So the current plan is for Pam and I to finish our projects here in Rapid. We've got... um, Next week uh, with you guys, the week after that, we're still doing Hills Alive. I hope to continue doing Hills Alive in the future. They seem to be cool with that idea. I really like what I get to do with them. Sometimes it's stressful because there's a lot of details, but uh, I mean, I get to write down all the schedules and tell when the bands get to play. And then on the week I get to tell them when to play and it's just a lot of fun. I get to do all the advertising. It's a good time. So I plan to keep coming back for that. Uh, and and I've already talked to the new church. I'm like, guys, just so you know, like we're gonna do this thing. You can come with us. (laughs) We'll make it a family thing, but we're going. Uh, So Pam and I are finishing those projects. Then at the end of August, we're taking a three-week sabbatical because we're tired, because this year has been incredibly exhausting for us. We have traveled over 5,000 miles back and forth to the new church and doing all the different things that we've had to do. Packing up, refixing our house, getting that on the market, signing on it next week, please. It's been a headache. It's a good story. I'll tell you some other time. If you ask. Uh, So we're tired. So we're going to take three weeks off. And then September 1st, we're full time at the new church. We've been part time at the new church since April. Pam and I have been the lead pastors of that church since April. Uh, They just get to see us every three weeks. We will be working on building a new home. Uh, Pam found six and a half acres for super cheap uh, in Colorado there in a neighboring town that we're hoping to close on next week or the week after. We had to push it back because the closing on our house got messed up. Not our fault, we did our job, just so we're all clear. But guys, that's the plan right now. So there's, we're closing now. I'm in the closing section of my notes. There's something in me that just can't do anything halfway. And Pam has it too, maybe even more so. See, I could just come to church on Sundays. I could sing some songs. I could say some prayers. I could be uplifted by a message and I could go home. And if that's all I did, it would be fine. Remember we talked about at the beginning? If If that's all you can do, if that's all you wanna do, Fine. There's no pressure to do more. God loves you exactly as you are. But I, Derek, I have to do more. There's something inside of me that always pushes me to be becoming. I have to be learning. I have to be growing. I have to be doing. So, again, as a young person, I pulled the trigger. And I gave up control and I gave God that control and he's taken, he's taken control of my trajectory and it's been awesome and it will continue to be awesome. We go back to uh, Philippians, Peter continues in verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on, Sean, you can come up anytime but he's not talking about perfection. He's talking about, oh, what's the word. Thank you. Excellence. He's talking about getting up every day and trying again and striving and reaching forward for the things that God has called us to. And the thing that God called you to yesterday might not be the thing that he called you to today. It's gonna be part of the story. It's gonna be part of the journey. But things change. And I guarantee you, the majority of people, God has called to more. The majority of people in this room, there's something inside of you that says, I have to do more. I can do more. I should do more. I wanna do more. There's something on the inside of you that's not, not happy just coming to church and sitting down. You want to do more. So the question I want to end with today, what's God calling you to? My story isn't my story for my own edification and for my own joy, and so I have something to talk about on my last Sunday at Destiny. My story exists for the same reason Paul's story exists, to help point you to Jesus and to help get you set on your journey. The next leg of my journey looks different than yours. But again, what is God calling you to? I bet it's more. I bet it's bigger. I bet it's different. Probably uncomfortable. Talk about uncomfortable. We'll talk about that later too. I would ask you guys to just take a moment, and if you feel like Holy Spirit speaking something to you right now, make sure to write that down. I'm going to pray over you, and I'm going to let you go because oh smack! I did not look at the clock. God, I thank you so much again for this day and this opportunity for us to come and worship you. God, I really hope that today didn't come across as super self-serving. God, that's not what I wanted. I didn't want this to be self-serving. Like I said, youth have heard these stories for years. There's nothing new. But God, I would hope that you would use all of these, these stories and these moments and these, these wayposts in my life to bring clarity to someone else's. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak clearly and openly to each one of us what you're calling us to. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you don't call us to something that's outside of our ability or outside of our desires or outside of our our willingness. Everybody's afraid, God, that you're gonna call them to Africa. If If they pull the trigger and say, God, do what you wanna do, you're gonna drag them to Africa. But God, what people don't realize is you don't take people to Africa unless they already wanted to go, unless it was already inside of them to go there. And that if you did call them to Africa, they would have joy in it because it would be something that was already ingrained in them, something that you put in them before they were born. So God, I pray that you would speak super clearly to each one of us what you're calling us to. Whether it be to serve um, here at the local church, whether it be to partner with one of the other ministries in Rapid City, whether it would be to start a church or or uh, move to another town to minister or or God, whatever it is that you're calling us to, even if it's like just loving on people at work differently, treating each other with with respect, honoring those who've been hurt and working to bring them justice and healing. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak so clearly to us that we would have no problem packing up and moving to Canada crazy. I'm from Wyoming. You don't go to Canada. I did. God, I thank you that when you speak and when you call us to something, even if it's huge and crazy and big and we're scared to try it, we can still step into it with joy because we know that you're there and because we know that you partner with what you've already put inside of us. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.